That also wasn't a full sentence, but I don't want to write anymore, so we're going to keep going. <laughs> I tried really hard. <laughs> I tried really Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's my weekend. I had one singular beer, and I'm recording a podcast with my friend. Who can ask for wow. more? Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Nice. I figured out why all of my research has gone wrong. Oh, that's good. So that's a plus. Downside is that it took Noelle staying with me until 1 a.m. last night, taking measurements to figure out A, that something was wrong, mm. like extra wrong, and B, why was all my data funky? And then I went to bed and woke up this morning, and I was like, holy fuck, I've been doing reactions on the wrong thing this whole time. That's, I'm glad you figured it out, but that also sounds like a really big bummer. Oh yeah, I'm very sad, because that was supposed to be data that was going in my second year talk, that's next Thursday. Yeah, well now, you, okay. now you can just talk about how it went wrong, and that's still science, technically. Technically, you're right. Oh, I have also a secondary wine update. <laughs> oh, good. A secondary wine update. Is it also from Trader Joe's? It's it's about it's in regards to the same thing. So apparently, I'm dumb and I don't read, which we know this. I mean, same. <laughs> I, the brand that I like also makes a Moscato that is $4.49 and that tastes exactly like the Riesling. <laughs> but the Moscato has a screw top and the Riesling has a cork still. And I wonder if that is like something because Riesling is German and Moscato is not German or if there's some weird import thingy but Trader Joe's improve your fucking corks because when I opened the bottle that I was drinking out of the other day ripped the cork in half again this podcast no longer sponsored by Trader Joe's no this this is a secret Trader Joe's hate account because this is the only thing I hate about Trader Joe's I hate about their products I have their business practices are questionable, but... All business practices are questionable. This is very true, and we will talk about that segue... Oh? ...in today's episode. Wow! Yeah. So... I actually don't know what we're talking about this week. No, you don't, because I didn't tell you yet. Um, I wanted to mix it up a little bit, so... As I so often do, I was on the Cryptids wiki page, and... I thought, like, we'd been doing cryptids, but I wasn't really in the mood to do an alien encounter. So I'm like, oh, let's do a hoax. Oh? So today, we're going to be talking about Albert C. Cock, Coach, K-O-C-H. I don't know. I'm going to say Cock, because I'm pretty sure that's how it is. I like it. Albert C. Cock, the Chimeric Missourium, and the Hydrarchos. Okay, I'm intrigued. You should be, because it's very exciting. And like I was telling you before we started recording, this is the most research I've ever done. <laughs> because I saw this article, and I'm like, that looks like too much research, let's do something else. And then I went back to it, because I was just so intrigued by the little, little bit that I saw on the Cryptids Wiki. The U.S. has always been full of hucksters. You know, now more than ever, and maybe also ever as well. From the infamous snake oil salesman to the likes of P.T. Barnum and Robert Ripley, the man who started Ripley's Believe It or Not, 
1918, I told you I did research, uh, it seems like tricking the public for either just fun and games or more nefarious purposes has been a part of the American landscape since its inception. Enter Albert C. Koch, a man who blurred the line between entertainment and science. An immigrant from Saxony who opened the St. Louis Museum in 1836 and amazed the public with the remains of its antediluvian creatures, which means pre-flood, pre-biblical flood. Alright, so let's talk about Albert C. Koch. He was born near Dresden. I love talking about Koch, Lindsay, you know it. I know that you don't, actually. Yeah. I know that that's not really your thing. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You let me have that one joke, but go ahead. You can make the joke, but I'm going to make a follow-up joke. It's fair. <laughs> Call me out. I have to keep you honest. Somebody does. <laughs> so he was born near Dresden in the Saxony region of Germany in 1806, which I would think is northern Germany, or maybe it's really southern. I don't know anything about Germany. I was there, don't know anything about it. It's a German part of Germany. It's a German part of Germany. Uh, And he immigrated to the U.S. in 1826. According to the historical archives, he next shows up in Missouri, where he opens the St. Louis Museum. These exhibitions and vaudeville-like shows of the dead helped Koch raise the money for pursuing his real passion, the excavation and collections of artifacts from Native Americans. Yeah, well, it was 1826. I don't... That's fair. (laughs) There's, like, two jobs a German can have, and this is one of them. (laughs) Koch is frequently compared with P.T. Barnum, who used his American Museum in New York for similar purposes. Both inhabited the gray area between serious science and the entertainment industry. There are some discrepancies about who truly opened the St. Louis Museum. According to the History of Science in St. Louis, Edward Wyman initially established the museum under the direction of J.P. Bates. Wyman collected natural history specimens for many years and was skilled in preparing and arranging these objects. However, a contrasting article from the Living Museum states that Koch opened the museum in 1836. Uh, from what I could tell, Koch seemed to be the lifeblood of the museum, hunting for fossils and securing new exhibits to line the halls. Even if he didn't truly open the museum, his scientific pursuits and theatrical energy led to its popularity and his absence led to its eventual decline. He sold the museum in 1841 and left St. Louis for good. With his departure, the museum fell on hard times and faded into history. The building eventually burned down in 1866. Which is a big bummer, because it seemed like it would be a really cool museum. Once Once he sold it, it was a concert hall, and then it burned down. Oh, R.I.P., I guess. Yeah. Despite his showmanship, Koch played a significant role in the scientific community in the 19th century, and his museum contained many important natural history collections. But we are not here to talk about that. We're not. We are not here to talk about the important natural history collections that were most likely stolen, or at least secured under dubious circumstances. True. No. We are here to discuss the Chimeric Missourium in the Hydrarchos. The, the name that says Missourium, it literally sounds like an element. This is true. It's not an element. Oh. It is a set of fossils, or rather a collection of bones. Uh, nice. These two collections of bones skyrocketed Koch to fame and entranced the general public while simult- simultaneously embarrassing the scientific community, which is what we liberal arts majors call a win-win. Wow. I don't need someone else's help to embarrass myself and the scientific community as a whole. Not to brag. I do not stand STEM majors. I do stand your professor because he uh, validated that poli-sci is a real science. Good. So let's talk about the chimeric Missourium. Chimeric in the sense of like a chimera. Yeah, like composed of 
several animals. Yes. So in the St. Louis Museum, Cock had a Hall of Curiosities open to the general public, obviously for a 50 cent ticket, of course. Of course. He had to make money. It housed wax sculptures, exotic animals, artifacts from distant countries, extensive miniature dioramas, and alleged freaks of nature. But in 1840, Cock received word of something much bigger. A Missouri farmer had discovered a large fossilized set of bones on his property, which Cock quickly purchased. And like any good or read exploitative businessman, he also purchased the right to search the farmer's land for more. Within four months, Cock had assembled a complete mastodon skeleton. It was actually more than complete. His mount included numerous extra vertebrae and ribs from one or more additional mastodon individuals. As a final flourish, he positioned the mastodon's tusks pointing upward to make the beast look more fearsome. In order to differentiate his creation from the specimen excavated by Charles Wilson Peel in 1801 from the Hudson Valley in New York, Cock called the creature the Missourium for no scientific reason at all, just to say that it was different and bigger. Nice. His specimen was 32 feet in some direction. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's tall or long. <laughs> I didn't, didn't say. I forgot to write it down, but that's twice the size of a, you know, a real mastodon. One that has ah. the proper number of vertebrae, no extra ones. That's just a super mastodon. Super mastodon black hole. You know, that one song by Muse, I think. So anyway, the Missourium went on display in the St. Louis Museum later in 1840 and proved to be an instant success. Obviously. It's a big fucking bunch of bones. Why wouldn't it be a success? Yeah, who doesn't want to see a big bunch of bones? I do not see enough bones in my daily life, I'm going to be honest. In fact, Cock decided that the composite mastodon mount was worth more than every other display combined, and in 1841, he sold the entire exhibit hall and took the Missourium on tour, traveling to New Orleans, Philadelphia, and several other American cities. Yay, Philly! Yay, Philly! Academics of the time pointed out that Cock's mount was clearly a composite, and an incorrectly assembled one at that, and expressed disapproval for his sensationalized treatment of important specimens. But just like Barnum and the Fiji mermaid, the controversy surrounding the Missourium only enticed the paying public more. I think it's really important to remember that, like, this was the period of history where paleontology really started to take off. And, like, this is when people started doing actual scientific research about, like, dinosaurs and bones and stuff. And it wasn't knowledge that was widely accessible to the general public. And, like, why wouldn't you believe him that he had this big-ass mastodon? He owned a museum. He had a museum. Yeah. Why would it be wrong? No street cred. Exactly. Museum cred. It's a smart dude. Scholar? Listen, the only real phrase running through my head right now for the past, like, 30 seconds has been bone tour, because he's taking the bones on a tour. This but, is like, exactly what he's doing. That's the, those are the only words I can think of right now, and I'm very sorry. That's great. As an interesting side note, Cock claimed to have found stone tools and other human artifacts alongside the Missourium fossils. He explained that these tools demonstrated that the human population in North America extended much further back than had been previously assumed. This was again 1840s. Cock eventually ended up being right about mammoths and humans living together, but because of the obvious fraudulent nature of the Missourium, scientists of the day ignored him entirely. So we could have been, I don't know when they figured out that humans and uh, mammoths lived together. If it was before 1840, we could have been more scientifically advanced. We really could we have. We could be five years in the anthropological future by now. <laughs> also, this whole time you're saying mastodon, I keep thinking like an actual dinosaur. And then you said mammoth and I was like, oh. They're the oh, same right. thing, right? A light bulb. A mammoth? 
And a dinosaur? No, a mammoth and a mastodon. Yes. Okay, I good. Was not thinking. That's why I'm saying I was confused, but I should have known it because they have that fossil in our Animal Crossing museums. You scared me because I'm like, I did so much research and... I believe you guys I, call the mastodon. I'm like, in my brain, I thought that was right, but I didn't double check. Um, Listen, I don't know what bones are called. We already discussed this. I think we should replace all of our bones with crystals because they have no biological function. We don't need bones. Yeah. From this point forward, mastodon and mammoths are the same thing. I don't care what your science textbook says. Rip it out. Fuck science. Don't fuck science. Well, moving on. From the Missourium to the Hydrarchos, which is the Cryptids Wiki page that started it all. Before he sold, no, after he sold the museum, after I'm assuming the Missourium stopped being profitable to him, he sold it to the British Museum in 1843. But he was soon back on his bullshit again, when in 1845, he began touring the southern US for new fossils. This time, Cock was after the bones of the prehistoric whale, Basilosaurus citoids. Is that an eye or no? It's an eye. I didn't, I'm not wearing my glasses. Between January and April of 1845, Cock traveled across Clark, Choctaw, and Washington counties in Alabama, retrieving basilosaurus remains. His best find was an articulated partial skeleton, including much of the skull, which he unearthed near the Tom Bigby River. I don't know what articulated partial skeleton means, but I'm guessing it means a lot of it. Okay. I always thought articulated was after you put it together and, like, the legs would move. Because joints aren't bone. You can't. That's not. It can't be a fossil. I don't know. Okay. Well, he found a lot of skeleton, including much of a skull, by the Tom Bigby River. So, good job, Albert. So, after accumulating parts of at least six basilosaurus individuals, as well as some ammonite pieces, Coke combined the fossils into a 114-foot mount, or as he would claim, a 140-foot mount, which goes to show that men have always been like this. <laughs> Terrible at measurement. Exactly. Just as he had with the Missourium, Cox strung together the vertebrae of multiple individuals, extending his creation's length to an absurd degree. Built as a sea serpent called the Hydrargos, and eventually renamed Hydrarchos, the mount was first exhibited at the Apollo Saloon in New York City and proved to be even more popular and profitable than the Missourium had been five years earlier. Again, Obviously, real scientists confronted Koch over the inaccurate and sensationalized displays. Undaunted, Koch eventually sold the Hydrarchos to the Prussian king at the time. I'm not even going to try to say his name. Doesn't look that hard, but I don't feel like saying it. And he exhibited it in Berlin's Royal Anatomical Museum, despite the insistence by the experts at the museum Hmm. that this was a fraudulent reconstruction. But he was the king, so get bent. What is the king's name? Friedrich Wilhelm IV. Yeah, that's Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great. I was like, this sounds like something that person would do. Because there was a time where I was like, Prussia was a country? And I just decided I wanted to learn more about it. I always forget that Germany wasn't unified until like 1886. Yeah. Like that was very recent. So even after he sold uh, the Hydrarchos to the Prussian king, he was not finished. In 1848, he completed a second Basilosaurus composite. This one was only 96 feet long and he took it on tour again. This one would be eventually sold to Colonel Woods Museum in Chicago, and the E.L. Woods Museum, in quotes, was yet another exhibition of mostly bogus oddities. Still, the Basilosaurus' final home 
can be credited for correctly identifying it as a prehistoric whale. So before um, whoever discovered it believed that it was a type of dinosaur and not a type of mammal, hence the Osaurus, but this mostly bogus oddities museum correctly identified it as a mammal, which is fun. The composite was labeled as a zooglodon, a junior synonym coined by Richard Owen when he determined that the Alabama fossils belonged to marine mammals and not reptiles. I mean, properly identified or not, the mount was destroyed along with the rest of the museum during the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which is a big bummer. Why are, why were there so many fires? Wait, that's two fires. Everything was made of wood. Oh yeah, I guess that'll do it. Yeah, and closed together. <sighs> bummer. Most of the original hydrarchos survived uh, until World War II, which it was, it proceeded to be lost during, along with a lot of things. Um, although some parts remain in the Humboldt Museum in Berlin. That's what I have about Albert C. Cock, the Chimeric Missourium, and the Hydrarchos. What a king. Is, I think it's so interesting, and I miss the days where you could just pull a bunch of bones out of the ground and then stick them together and be like, hey, look at this thing. Pay me 10 cents to look at this thing. And then you were set for life. Can I also, like, so around this time, I just want to throw this in because it's a fun fact and you made me think of it with Chicago. Um... In Doylestown, there's something called the Mercer Museum, and also Font Hill Castle and, like, Moravian Tile Works. They're all connected. And the guy who built Font Hill Castle, which was his home, and the Mercer Museum, which he built as a museum, literally, he made them out of poured concrete because he had seen museums burned down before, and he didn't want that to happen to his. And to prove to his neighbors that his stuff wouldn't burn, he lit a bonfire on the roof of his house. That's so classic. That's great. We don't have enough stunts like that anymore. We need to bring stunts back. Yeah. Who wants to light bonfires on the roof with me? Me. Always. Yeah. I always want to be on a roof. I always want to be lighting fires. It's perfect. Wow. Soulmates. Obviously. Yes, I like that story. I like the idea of just pulling bones out of the ground and stringing them together to make the biggest creature possible. And I also think it takes some serious skill to, at least to the general public, make it look like it actually belongs together. Yeah. I mean, if you match the bones by, like, size-ish and just kind of, like, decrease it as it gets towards, like, the quote-unquote tail, Yeah. Because even, I think with the Missourium, they said it was, like, two rib cages and, like, a bunch of extra (laughs) vertebrae. And it's like... (laughs) People know that you only have, you know, one set of wings and not two for your ribs. So, like, well, I don't think it's like a set of. I would guess that it wasn't like a set of ribs and then like a little bit of spine and a set of ribs. I would guess that it's spine and like they just put the two rib cages together and then like the other bones like just building off of it so it looked like an extended rib cage. This is true, but I think just to make that look natural enough, and I don't know, I think it's impressive. I think it's skill. Obviously, he was an exploitative businessman because everybody was. Everybody still is, but especially before, you know, labor laws. But yeah, he was fun. Erica, can you tell the people how to connect with us? Find some bones, preferably dinosaur ones. String them together like a giant necklace and make a creature bigger than the ones that Cock made. Show Cock that yours is bigger. Then take it on a bone tour and bring it to Texas to Texas and to Florida so that Lindsay and I can see it. And when we come to your exhibition of your giant bone creature, you can tell us your message. Or, alternatively, if I guess you can't find that many bones. 
Which, to like, be fair, we're... I feel like we dug most of them up at this point, so it might be hard. Yeah, I was gonna... I don't think we dug most of them up. I just think we dug most of them up that, like, we can feasibly get to, like, easily get to. Yeah. And please, also, I would like to make a disclaimer. We don't want you to bring us human bones. That's disrespectful. Correct. But other bones are okay. You could even take bones, I guess, of, like, animals that are today living and just string so many of them together that you make, like, the longest, wiggliest skeleton ever. I don't know where I'm going with this. But anyway, if you can't do that for some reason, because you can't dig hard enough and can't find the bones, uh, you could also follow us on Instagram at JustMightExist or email us at JustMightExistPodcast at gmail.com. And I posted on Instagram for the last episode. <gasps> oh my gosh, yay! I'm going to try very hard to at least do the little soundbite audio videos for every episode. And if we get more stuff, that's fine. And if we don't, that's also fine. Nice. But yeah. yeah. Also, next week, keep an eye out. We're going to have a bonus episode. Bonus in the sense that it's not set up like this, uh, but not an extra episode because Erica's really oh, yeah. busy. We're not having a real episode <laughs> next week. We're just having a listener story from my friend Max because after I bothered them on the podcast the one week, they sent they immediately sent me, sent us the uh, their ghost story. Yeah, so we will have that to share with you. Not a cryptid, but a fun listener somebody ghost story. Yes. Yay. Yay. Um, but I do have one final question for you. No, you don't. No, I don't. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Erica, what's the cryptid of the week? Cryptid of the week is my tablet pen. I cannot find it. <laughs>